you when you're coming in. Good morning. My name is Harold Bierg. I'm the, the campus pastor here at uh, Grace Point Church. And uh, I'm up here, you know, 80% of the time. Sometimes uh, we'll have Pastor Kevin from Fremont Campus or one of the pastors down there up on a big screen. But uh, most Sundays you get me. Yeah, all right, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And you'll get your $5 that I promised you for that. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys doing that. Um, so uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, and we're going to be in chapter 2 and 3 today. Uh, I promise you, it, uh, uh, we'll try to skip through some of this stuff uh, rather quickly. We won't get into too much detail, into the weeds, as some would say. But uh, as you guys are turning there, because we have people, it's summertime, people are in and out. Uh, I'm sure some people may have missed some Sundays during the series even. And so we're in a series called Blueprint, so I'm going to do a real quick impromptu quiz that you guys need to help me out with, okay? And maybe you're not helping me, but you're helping the person next to you who may not have been here. Uh, and if, you, if they look like they have notes, then you may want to scoot over and cheat. So feel free. It's church. We can do that, okay? So first Sunday, we talked about, actually, we jumped right into the center of the letter that Paul was writing to Timothy into chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, and there was two purposes, or purpi, no, I guess it's purposes. So there's two purposes that we talked about. Number one purpose was what? Somebody just called me a name or something? I heard something, but I wasn't sure. It almost sounded like you, no. Okay, so he gives us, the se- so we got the second purpose, which was God describing for us who the church is, but Paul was writing Timothy for the purpose of telling us how to conduct ourselves in the church. In other words, how do we, as Christians, uh, operate within a church? And so our focus, our purpose, leadership, that kind of stuff. And so he's giving some general understanding of what that's to be. And then the second purpose is to tell us what God says the church is. You know, we have our concept of what the church is, what the church should be, but he's giving us what God said. And God said, first of all, that we are a household of God. In other words, a family of God. So those of us who put our faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that our sins have been forgiven by God and that he's adopted us into his family and we are a child of God. So that means if you've done that, uh, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who have done that. So we are a family, and a family takes care of each other. We talk a lot about that here at Grace Point. He also said that we were, um, what was the other one in there? Uh, Okay. Nice. All right. So we are the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth, the truth being the gospel and everything that flows out of the gospel. And the idea there is that as followers of Christ, as Christians, as the household of God, as a family, our responsibility, why we get up in the morning, as I phrase it all the time, is to represent God. A pillar is something that kind of represents, and back then it was representing, they were thinking right away of the, the goddess Diana and of her, the 127 pillars that surrounded her temple. And it was a representation of, of their goddess and as well as you know, how great she was in their minds and that kind of stuff. And so Paul was kind of using that illustration to say, we're not stone that's representing the living God. We are living pillars that we represent the one true God, the, the actual living God, where Diana, of course, was um, a false god that they were worshiping there in, in Ephesus. All right, so week two. So that's the purpose of the letter and the purpose for we as a church. What did we talk about in week two? We jumped back into the first chapter, and we talked about what? Protecting the gospel. That we need to protect the purity of the gospel. You're going to win all the points today, Sharon. This is pretty good. Um, we've got to get her some sort of prize or something. Um, yeah, we're supposed to protect the purity of the gospel. So Timothy was given that responsibility in the church, and so it's, number one, the pastor's responsibility to know God's word well enough, to know the gospel accurately, and to protect that. And he used the word entrust. And the word entrust means to receive Whatever it is, in this case, the thing of value is the gospel. We're supposed to receive it. I'm to receive it. And then I'm to protect it and keep it pure and then hand it off to somebody else. 
So Paul was giving it to Timothy. Timothy was supposed to give it to faithful men who would also give it to faithful men who would give it to faithful men all the way down to what we have today. And so as a church, we need to protect the purity of the gospel because if you don't have the gospel accurately, receive it accurately, you're not receiving salvation because you're trusting in something, someone other than Jesus Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. But also with that then, if you don't get the gospel right, all the other doctrines are messed up because everything flows back to the gospel, and to Jesus Christ. All right, last week, we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. There you go. All right, pray for peace to proclaim the gospel. So Paul, in Acts 19, goes to Ephesus, and when he was there, he was there for two years, and there was relative peace there. And the church was so effective, because they didn't have to worry about persecution at the time, they were able to take their energy and focus it towards seeing people come to Christ. In two years, they were so effective, they almost shut down the temple of the goddess Diana. In fact, they got the people who were living off that temple so upset that they went after Paul and the other Christians, and there's a big riot, and there's a bunch of stuff going on. You can read it in Acts 19. But basically, they told, hey, Paul, you get out of time, town, you keep going, doing what you need to do. We'll take care of whatever needs to be happening here in Ephesus. And so... Paul understood that persecution is really good at pushing the gospel out and getting out into the world, but peace is necessary in order for it to grow where it's at. And so Paul is saying, pray for peace. Pray for the people in your life, including the government officials, and pray that you have peace, that tranquil life he talks about. Not so you can build your own kingdom, not so I build my kingdom, but we can build the kingdom of God, to see people come to Christ and put our energy towards that. Well, this week is one of those weeks that, um, especially in this day and age, that can be kind of controversial. And uh, so we're going to be in chapter 2 and 3, and we're going to be looking at the roles of men and women in the church. Just that phrase alone in this day and age is controversial, right? Because what's a man? I don't know. What's a woman? Who knows nowadays what a woman is? Who knows what a man is? Who knows if a man wants to be a woman, if a woman wants to be a man? And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. I just saw a, a news report that uh, in uh, Oregon, not Oregon, but Oregon, the, uh, the state, that uh, a judge said that a, a girl who wanted to be a boy um, is to be allowed to take showers with the boys at school. So a bunch of parents went up and said, no, 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 we don't want that in our, we don't want that in our school. And the judge says, no, 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 you have to do that. Um, so you know, just that statement, um, what is a man and what's a woman, is kind of controversial, but also then what's the responsibilities of a man and a woman? So let me build some, let me, uh, three points of some groundwork here that we can build off of, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Number one is this. The conversations that you would have with, um, like the first time you met somebody, that conversation will be a lot different than the conversation you would have with an acquaintance, a coworker, and certainly a lot different than you might have with a family member or a close friend, right? Unless you're my wife... When you're talking to a person that you first meet, you're not going to get into your full life story, unless you're my wife. If you're my wife, she'll say, oh, hey, that's great. I'd love to hear your story. And then she'll say, and how are you doing today? And the person will be fine. She goes, no, seriously, how do you do? And they'll be like, <laughs> and then she'll hug them, and she'll cry with them, and she'll pray with them. She doesn't care who you are, um, what the person is. She just does that. It's a, huge, it's a gift. Uh, there's a, a separate list of one gift that Kim has um, in the Bible. So anyway, she's awesome. But anyways, for most of us, though, we're talking with somebody on a, on a first-time basis. We're not going to get into some deep, at least I hope we don't get into some deep, dark conversation with them. But somebody who's close to us, we're going to feel free to have that conversation. This morning's topic is probably best suited for like a, a Bible study where you can spend an hour, hour and a half working through this topic. It's probably not best to be done in a, in a morning worship service where you have first-time attenders coming in, people who may or may not be even Christians. And so let me just say this. 
if you're here this morning and you're kind of kicking the tires of Christianity and you're trying to figure out, is this, you know, who is Jesus Christ and what does he mean to me and maybe I should start looking, thinking about going to church and that kind of stuff, don't let the topic we're talking about today keep you from investigating who Jesus Christ is. Okay? This topic that we're talking about today is not a salvation issue. It's not something to be like all worked up about and concerned about. And you can study it later and figure things out for yourself. But don't let this be a, a, a topic where you're saying, well, forget Jesus for this. Okay? It's, it's not that um, big of an issue, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Secondly, when, um, let me just challenge you that when we disagree, when you and I may disagree with what the Bible teaches, we need to make sure we study it accurately, and then we defer to God. Because God's perfect, God's all-knowing, God is perfect in his wisdom, perfect in his design, perfect in everything he does. He doesn't make a wrong choice, he doesn't design things incorrectly. We're usually the ones who are screwed up, messed up, not thinking accurately. Okay? So again, with this topic especially, um, you know, I, I thought of this verse, Isaiah 55, 89 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, this is God speaking, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we love, Christians love to use that verse for a bunch of stuff. Well, I'm challenging you uh, on topics that you might disagree with the Bible on, that you defer to God as well. The last one is this, and write this down. Um, in your notes, if you're taking notes, if you're one who feels comfortable enough writing in the margin of your Bible, write this in the margin of your Bible, maybe above chapter uh, 2 or chapter 2, verse 9 or something, and write this phrase, unique in design, united in purpose. Whether the world likes it or not, or whether we like it or not, God has uniquely designed men and women, and we're different. Okay? So, Obviously, women look different than men, all right? Guys, in general, operate in life differently than women do. Um, there's different strengths and different weaknesses within men and women, and that's why in a marriage situation, it's needing for them to work together as a team in a marriage, and why we as a church need to work together as a team. God created men and women equal. They're of equal value to God. They're equal in salvation. We all need salvation. We're all sinners. Okay? But we're, we're united in purpose. So we're unique in that we look differently. We act differently. We do different things. We have different spiritual gifts and, and you know, all kinds of stuff like that. But we're united in purpose. And our purpose is that as individuals and together as a church where to represent who God is. And even in the responsibilities God has given men and women in the church, there is a representation of who God is. And we need to be faithful and accurate in representing who God is and representing him to each other as well as to the world. So we're unique in design, but we're united in purpose. Well, with that as a background, we're going to look at, start in verse chapter, verse chapter, chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to do things a little different, keeps you awake. I'm going to read verse 8, so we're going to look at the responsibilities of men in the church first. Paul started with the guys, we'll start with the guys. We're going to read verse 8, and we're going to jump over to chapter 3, and we'll uh, read verses 1 through 13 while skipping verse 11. Okay, you with me? All right, thank you for your honesty. <laughs> Appreciate that. All right, so here we're going to look at the responsibilities of men, and these are general responsibilities. Um, you know, God isn't giving us real specifics in some cases, which allows us to be flexible within our church in order to meet our cultural situation and needs. But he says this, verse 8, Therefore, I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. It is a trustworthy statement, chapter 3, verse 1 now, it is a trustworthy statement, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, 
keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the family of God, or the church of God? And he must not be a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. That just has the idea of he's not to be an immature Christian, a new convert. Uh, there's a tendency for those who are put into leadership that there's a pride issue, and that's what he's talking about there. Satan uh, had, you know, his pride was what got him in trouble. Verse 7, And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, holding on to the gospel, living out the gospel without hypocrisy and, and all that kind of stuff. These men must also be first, first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Jump down to verse 12. Deacons must be husbands of one wife and good manager of their children and their own households, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And so we want to look at the responsibilities of men. And he starts out, how do we know this is men? Well, because he uses the word um, for a, a man, okay? The gender male, he uses the Greek word that re- references that. If you remember in uh, verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to pray for all men. That word was the generic name or word for mankind or all kinds of people. All right? But now he's shifted. He's using the term for male gender. And he says Christian men are to take the lead in praying. He starts out with the word therefore. So when, it's, when you hear the word therefore or read it, what do you ask? What's it there for? All right? So, therefore, because of what's come Before this, and I think specifically verses 1 through 7, because all Christians are supposed to pray for peace to proclaim the gospel, men, when you get together as a church, you need to take the lead in praying that that happens. You need to take the lead, you need to be the example, you need to be the spiritual leader in the church, because that's what God has called men to do in the home and in the church. He's not saying that women can't pray, women shouldn't pray. He's not saying that at all in this verse. He's just saying, men, step up, be the man of God that you're supposed to be, and be the leader. Draw people back to what's important, and what's important is people coming to Christ. And it'll impact everything a church does. A lot of guys will say, well, I'm kind of uncomfortable praying in front of people. If I could just talk to you guys man to man, all right? When we're afraid of something, but we really want to do it, we put the fear to the side, don't we? No, Pastor, we don't. No, you do. Come on. I mean, I, if I knew you well enough, some of you, I could probably come up with a, a topic for that. But, but we get afraid of something, but we really want to do it, we're going to go do it, right? I, I'm afraid of shopping. But there's been times where Kim's been gone, and I get hungry enough, I'm motivated. I'm going to go to Walmart, and I'm going to go find some stuff to buy and to eat. Okay, is that, That's just one good example in my own life. It doesn't happen often. I mean, eating happens often, as you can tell. But the, anyways, he says that it's supposed to happen in every place. In other words, in every church, whenever it's meeting, throughout all time. So this is not something just for Ephesus. This is for us today. And then he says that we're to be lifting up holy hands. Now, what's he talking about? He's not saying that every time we pray, we've got to put our hands up. Not saying that you don't have, you know, he's not saying don't put your hands up. He's just saying that that's not the focus here. The focus is really on holy, being set apart for God. Hands illustrates our work, what we do, our lives. And so what he's saying is, men, when you pray, I want you to come before God in prayer with holy lives, with lives set apart, with obedient lives in order to pray for the church. Because here's what was happening, and I, I think this is part of the illustration. This is, you know, I'm not going to you know, die on this hill, but we just read in chapter 1 that the false teachers that were teaching in Ephesus were causing fights and arguments. And we talked about how that would happen in a church setting back then. And so 
what was happening is that the false teachers were teaching, the men would start arguing, and they would be distracted from the, what the purpose was for getting together as a church. To get together as a church, we're supposed to know what God's Word says, learn about it, pray together that the gospel would go forward. And so Paul's saying, listen, guys, don't be arguing, don't be fighting over false teaching, because Timothy's going to be making sure that doesn't, that doesn't happen. So you take your energy and your time, and you be the, the example for the church to pray for those who need Christ. Pray for those, again, coming out of verse 1 through 7, and you can read that for yourself as to what, kind of what we're supposed to be doing as we're praying. So that's what we're all supposed to be doing as men in the church. But then he talks about two different groups of men who are going to choose to do a little bit more. All right? And so at first he talks about a group called overseers or elders, and then he talks about some guys called deacons. And so 1 through 7, he's talking to this group of overseers or elders, the spiritual leaders. Now there's a leadership transition that's happening in the church. Before, Jesus Christ picked 12 guys. So Jesus Christ made the choice. He picks 12 guys, which, by the way, says something about later on as we're talking about women in leadership in the church. Jesus Christ came to earth. He chose 12 guys. Then when he left, those 12 guys started choosing different guys like Timothy, like Titus, like Epaphroditus. love that word. Um, if I ever have a grandkid... I'm going to challenge my kids to name Epaphroditus. That'd be cool. Epaphroditus, come here! You know, yes, grandfather. Anyways, um, flowing toga. You know, it'd just be beautiful. Anyways, I digress again. Um, so they're handing off the ministry, but now in the third generation of leaders, it's going to be God working in in men's hearts, people's hearts, really, but in this case, men's hearts to take that step of spiritual leadership. So it's, it's not necessarily me now as a pastor choosing men. It's going to be people, men coming up and saying, hey, I think maybe God's leading me to be in spiritual leadership, to take this fine work, which work it is. It's leading a church is difficult. And so not every man will be able to be a spiritual leader, and not every man who is able to be a spiritual leader will be a spiritual leader. Does that make sense? So not every man is going to meet the requirements. But not every man who does meet the requirements is necessarily going to be an elder either. So here's, let me just sum it up. I'm not going to get into all the details. Uh, if, you know, Thursday nights, Bible studies, we were going through 1 Timothy, we went through all the details of these words. So you can talk to one of those that were at the Bible study. But here's, let me sum it up. So for a man to be a spiritual leader in a church as, a, as a, an elder, he needs to be spiritually mature, not controlled by alcohol, money, or his emotions. In other words, his emotions need to be level. He needs to be in control of those, not getting all worked up about things. Able to teach, morally and sexually pure. The husband of one wife really just basically means sexually pure. Uh, spiritually leads his family well and has a good reputation in the community. So when we're looking for people to be elders of a church, now Grace Point, we're a little different because we're a campus of the Fremont campus. So they, they, are, they have our elders, if you want to put it that way. But when we're looking for people to be elders in a church, that's what we're looking for. Okay. Other men, they may not want to be on the spiritual leadership team, but they want to be involved in ministry. And so Paul calls them deacons, and that was in verses 8 through 13. Deacons simply means servant. But these guys have been tested. In other words, they've shown themselves faithful over a period of time. These aren't just new people into a church necessarily, um, even though they might be Christians, but these are people who have come in and they've served. You know, they started, you want to say, at the lower end of things, um, not responsible for anything. They're just in there working, serving, uh, giving of their time, um, serving in the church. These guys also have re requirements, and so kind of adding on here or summarizing up even what some of the elders' requirements were. They need to be spiritually mature as well, not hypocritical. That's what the double-tongued is. Not controlled by alcohol or personal interest. Morally, sexually pure, and spiritually leads his family well. Now, it doesn't mean that 
like for instance, not controlled by alcohol or personal interest, it doesn't mean that these guys can then be out of control emotionally. Okay? He's just kind of throwing in some more requirements here for these guys. And he adds an extra promise to this group of deacons. He says you'll obtain a high reputation with people and confidence in your faith. What that means is this. Um, one, I think we get this, that if someone serves well in a church, their respect level goes up, right? People look at them and go, wow, you know, so-and-so is always serving. Just really appreciate how much they've you know, served me and helped me. or they, they, you know, We just really appreciate them and respect them. That's one thing. Then he says there's confidence in the faith. This is not saying that this is adding on to your salvation, that if you serve, you're going to ensure that you're saved. That's not what he's talking about here. It means this. When you put yourself in a position where you're serving, especially if you step outside of your normal comfort zone and you're really looking to God, give me the strength and the wisdom to do this ministry, and then you do the ministry, and then you do it well, it's no reflection on you. It's all reflection on God. And so then you go, man, God, thank you so much. And when you start having that relationship with God where you're looking to him to help you serve, that relationship gets closer, gets more intimate. There's more confidence in your faith. Um, and that's what he's talking about there. So that's the men. That's some general responsibilities for men. Again, it's, it's, very, it's more about their, um, their character traits okay, than it is about what they're actually going to do. Because again, we have, some, we have a wide variety of things to do in a church. Then he moves on to the, to the women and what their responsibilities are in the church. And so we're going to start back in verse 9. We're going to read 9 through 15, and then verse 11. All right? So he says this, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women, making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. And then jump down to 3.11. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. All right. One of the interesting things uh, when you're teaching the Bible is, um, is the word choice that Paul uses, or God has Paul put down. So uh, language changes over time, and Paul's pretty aggressive in his language, and so when we read it, sometimes we're like, Ugh. so there are some things that he says here that um, can have a ripple of uncertainty through a church. So I'm, I'm hoping this morning as we work through this to kind of give some understanding to that and been praying that way. So the word likewise. So likewise, going back to verse 8, so just as the men in the church need to take the lead and, and show themselves faithful in praying and getting the church back on track for praying about the gospel and seeing people come to Christ, in that same way, women, by the way, it's again in every church, so it's Back then, all the churches at that time and churches today, women are supposed to be known for or focused in on good works, serving God. So he's not saying in this passage that um, women are not to care about how they look. All right? So, uh, you know, I try to do as best I can on a Sunday morning. You know, I take a shower and put on some, you know, stinky stuff um, so I don't stink even worse. I, I do my hair up really nicely, and I, and I come to church, and, you know, I'm not a suit and tie guy, but I, I try to, you know, wear things that are somewhat appropriate. Um, it's always, what he's saying to, to the ladies is, you, you just come to church however you want. You know, hair all up in crazy and pajamas. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, your focus needs to be on serving God. That's what your focus needs to be on. Just like God, guys are supposed to be focused on serving God, Women, you're supposed to be. Here's a picture. Um, so, this is what Paul's talking about right there. Okay, ladies, don't do that. Um, 
So back in that day, uh, Ephesus was a wealthy town, and I'm sure they had some wealthy you know, families and women in the church. And what was happening in their society was they were putting a lot of time and emphasis into how they looked. They cared about the exterior more than the interior. And they would actually, in those little curls, they would actually stick jewels. Okay? Because they wanted to show, we got the money to do this. Now, one of the things that you'll see throughout Scripture is, you know, the church is not supposed to be about people flaunting what they have. In fact, what you have has been given to you by God in order to meet the needs of the church and those outside the church. So, this is what Paul's talking about. They're not to come and have their hair all up and jewels all over the place and say, look at me. All right? Women, just like men, are supposed to come to church and go, look at God. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do what he calls me to do. And we need to um, draw attention to him. He says, this is for women who are making a claim to godliness. This word godliness is something that Paul's going to talk about numerous times and already has talked about it throughout the book of 1 Timothy. And again, godliness is best defined as a person's heart and mind who wants to do life God's way. And so he's saying, ladies, if, you're one of the, if you've put your faith in Christ and you want to be a godly woman, then don't make your life all about the outside, the external. Make it about the inside. And one of those things is serve well in the church. Be known as somebody who serves your brothers and sisters in Christ, and in doing that, serving your Heavenly Father. But in that, there are two things that you're not to do. By the way, these are two things that most men in the church are not to do, if you notice the passage. The two things we're going to talk about are the, the, the responsibility only of elders, okay? Those who have a certain... Um, Qualities about them, godly qualities about them, who are trained and are able to teach. So he says, they're not to teach or have authority over men. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds here. If you want to get into the weeds with me, I'd love to do that with you, but this morning we're not going to do that. Um, I'll give you a launching point, and you can study it out, and then we can have conversations if you want. But he says this, uh, not to teach or have, or have authority. The word teach there is the word for doctrine. Okay? And authority has the idea of a spiritual authority or direction uh, responsible for the spiritual lives of others. Okay? So in the church, and then it goes on into talking about elders, so in the church, women are not to be teaching biblical doctrine when men are in attendance or have spiritual authority over them within the church. Okay? Um, now, again, not all men have this. Only those who are overseers or elders have this responsibility. I know that in the history of church, people have abused this. And people have made it so that it's become something that people don't want to obey, and they'll come up with these times where men have abused this. But we don't go against what God's Word says just because someone's abused it right? We can think of a bunch of other times that people have abused something in Scripture, but we still go by what God's words say. Some people abuse the gospel, but we don't stop teaching the gospel, right? Okay, so same thing. So godly women should teach doctrine to other women and children in the church. That's where they can fulfill that spiritual gift of teaching, even the spiritual gift of pastoring, Spiritual of knowledge, spiritual of prophecy, all that, again, prophecy being proclaiming truth, that can be done because God gives women those spiritual gifts, but it needs to be done within the setting of women or children at church. Godly women can teach CPR. All right? Godly women can teach how to teach. Godly women can teach training stuff. Godly women are not to be teaching biblical doctrine in the church. But they can teach all kinds of other stuff in the church, even with men. And so if we have a training session to do CPR, which I know we're going to try to do this year, we can have a woman up there teaching how to do CPR. It's okay. Again, some people have abused that and said, you know, women can't teach anything in the church. Also, godly women can lead companies or run for political office. 
So some people throw out the straw man saying, well, you don't like women leading companies and blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what this verse is talking about. The book that we're looking at is about how to do life as a church. Okay? And so women can lead companies, women can run for political office, you know, have at it. You can have political office. He says they need to, be re- they need to remain quiet. Another straw man that's out there, women are not supposed, aren't supposed to speak in church. You know, really, that's kind of a terrible argument. All he's saying here is, as it pertains to teaching doctrine, they're to remain quiet. They're not to be teaching doctrine when men are in attendance. That's all that phrase means. And then it was supposed to be done in all the dreaded S word. Submissiveness. How many of you believe, or maybe you know of somebody who believes that submit, submissiveness, is a, a negative term? Okay. You may not believe it, maybe a friend of yours does. <laughs> okay, I just want you know, give you some freedom there. Yeah, in this day and age, especially, submission, submitting, submissiveness, that word is a, is a dangerous word. It, it's completely misunderstood by most people in the church um, and certainly outside the church. Now remember, keep going back to this, our responsibility as Christians and as a church family is to represent God to the world. Okay? And so it's our responsibility to know exactly who God is, how he operates, and then to represent him well and accurately. When men and women submit as God tells us to in the church, we represent him well. When we do it the way he says it, we represent him well, and we leave that into his hands as to what impact that has. It's also in the marriage as well, but we're talking about the church. Did you know that within the Trinity, the Godhead, that there is submission within three persons of the Trinity. Have you ever thought about that? There's submission within the, the three persons of the Trinity, so that when we do the submission accurately and correctly, we're representing God well. For instance, why did Jesus, God the Son, come to earth? I'm hearing a lot of To do his Father's will. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ submitted to God the Father and obeyed and came to earth to die. Pretty unfair, right? That God had to die. Jesus said that when he was on earth, that one, it was the Holy, Holy Spirit who empowered him to do the works that he did, but everything he did, he got from God the Father. Everything got, that Jesus Christ did and everything that Jesus Christ taught, he got from God. He submitted himself to God the Father and only did what God the Father told him to do. Jesus also said that God the Father and God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit submitted and obeyed and came to earth and indwelled believers. And Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will only speak what I tell him to speak. And the Holy Spirit willingly came under the authority of God the Son and has only taught what Jesus Christ has taught. So God is commanding men and women to come under his authority and serve within the church as he's directed us to do that. We may not understand it. We may not get it. Like, for instance, I don't have an answer for why did God create man first and woman second? And why did God take woman out of man? I probably have a little bit better answer for that, but I don't know why he started with man, with Adam. He could have started with women, I suppose, you know, created a woman first and then had man come up. He could have started with a, something that we don't even call a man or a woman. You know, I don't know. Why did he create what he created and how he created it? But he created man first. Out of man came woman, and he set in place a leadership structure, a spiritual leadership structure, 
for the home and the church that we as followers of Christ are supposed to follow. And again, men and women are equal before God. We are equal within salvation, Galatians talks about. But when it comes to serving the church, there's only two things that, are, that an elder is supposed to be doing and nobody else should be doing. Maybe a better way of phrasing it. So the point, when we don't understand, like I said at the beginning, when we don't understand, if this is something that you're kind of struggling with, study it out, and then defer to God. Okay? Because I think it's pretty clear once you study it completely out. Then he, uh, in verses uh, 13 through 15, he starts using some other things, other phrases that are kind of hard to understand. I want to kind of break these down for you real quick. He says that women who obey this command will be preserved through the bearing of children. So we need to kind of break that up and figure it out. The word preserved could mean saved, but we understand Scripture that says that salvation is through faith in Christ and Christ alone, no work on our part. So it means it's kind of illogical for us to say, oh, only women who are bearing children can be saved. Or they find their salvation in having children. Okay, so obviously he's not talking about that. So what is he talking about? Preserved can also mean to protect Preserved safe and unharmed. Until godly women um, preserve or protect or keep safe or don't do harm to the image of God and what he's doing in the church when they follow through with what God's called them to do. Serve everywhere. Teach. Serve. Help. Uh, encourage. Uh, give mercy, you know, name all the different spiritual gifts, administrate, do all that kind of stuff. Leave the teaching and the spiritual leadership stuff to the elders, but you do everything else. And when you do, you're not going to harm God's image. You're going to help God's image. You're going to show who God is, and, and you're going to represent him well. And that's what he means when he says preserved. He, used, he talks about Adam and Eve and, and the fact that Eve was deceived. Again, so he's talking to women, so he's going to focus on women. He says, listen, Eve made a choice. She was deceived by Satan, but she still made a choice, and she decided to step out of the spiritual leadership roles that God had ordained. And when she did that, then Adam sinned, of course. Well, then everything got distorted. The roles got distorted. People's attitudes and thinking on things got distorted. And the image of God was distorted in the eyes of others. So God's saying, hey, here's how we restore it. And then for the women's sake, here's how you help restore that image of God and continue on with the leadership structures the way that the Lord wants it. And that is do everything, serve everywhere, just leave the, the teaching and the spiritual leadership to the elders. And then the bearing of children, what's that? Well, bearing of children could be Bearing children, <laughs> having children, but it also has the idea of nurturing and developing children. So a way that a godly woman represents God and shows who God is, is that they are to nurture and develop children. Certainly their own, if God has given them the ability to have children. Some women can't have children, and you know, that's God's decision. But there are women, or there are children in church they're your brothers and sisters in Christ have children you you can develop and nurture and come alongside of and, and disciple and encourage the parents as well as encourage the kids. And, and it's actually kind of summarizing what Paul talks about in Titus 2 where he tells the older women to instruct the younger women so that the word of God isn't dishonored. And so there's so much that even you know women who aren't able to have children, you can nurture kids, you can be developing children, not to, even, not to mention the impact you can have on other women in the church. So Paul's point here, when women serve within the church as God commands, they help restore God's design and accurately represent who God is in the church and really outside the church. And then he finishes up verse 11, talks about these women. Who are these women? That's the big question, big debate. Three options here. These women could just be the, the wives of uh, deacons, who are not necessarily doing any kind of official work in a church. Okay, So these deacons, they're officially serving in some capacity. I think um, 
my own personal view is that they are actually leading ministries, but their wives are involved, and they need to and involved in a volunteer way, I guess you could say, um, and so they need to have certain qualities about them. It also could be wives of deacons. So in other words, they, they find couples to serve. So a husband and a wife team who meet the, qual- the qualifications they serve. Or it could be, just be another group of ladies, kind of like we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks with the, uh, the widow teams that they had back then. Um, that it could just be that there are a group of women who meet the qualifications who serve as deaconesses. At Grace Community Church, and therefore at Grace Point, again, they have deacons. We have people running ministries here. Um, what we do is they try to have teams, if at all possible, but they understand from time to time you may have a, a man without his wife or you may have a, a wife without her husband, maybe um, a spouse has passed away or whatever, um, but they would have them serving, try to have teams if possible. The big point is they must meet the requirements of being dignified, not malicious gossips, temperate, which means emotionally stable, and faithful in all areas of life. So again, doesn't give specific areas of ministry what to do. It's just that as long as a person has those qualifications, they need to be serving in a church um, in wherever they can. Again, except for teaching and having spiritual authority over man. And I think the promise to the deacons is also to the women that those who do that will have a high reputation amongst the people in the church and that they will have this confidence in their faith. So let me close with a couple three thoughts here. Number one, Grace Community here at Grace Point, we're committed to the Bible. We're committed to what God says in the Bible, no matter what society might be throwing at us. And we're going to take our time and we're going to study Scripture and know Scripture and we're going to do whatever we can do to help you guys know God's Word well. Thursday nights, we have Bible study here. We'll expand things as we go. But right now it's Thursday night, 7 o'clock, and we're looking into the Bible. We're learning about the Bible, how the Bible is put together, that kind of stuff. We've been studying 1 Timothy um, here as we were getting into this series. And you can feel free to show up on Thursdays. It would be great to have you. Secondly, again, I didn't have time to cover all the arguments and all the issues related to this topic. It can be a hot topic. So if you have questions, if you're concerned, feel free to call me up, have a meeting with me, shoot me an email. Uh, please don't shoot me a text because I am not going to text you back on my phone. All the details, typing's a little easier. Have you seen my hands? Okay. Um, it's like meat clubs pounding on it. If I could get... Anyways. Uh, and then lastly, again, unique in design, united in purpose. We need to praise God that he made women and men differently, right? Am I right? Yeah, there you go. All right, one person's happy about it. All right. I'm happy. I should probably clap too. I am so glad that Kim is a woman and not a, not a man. That's all I'm saying. Um, now we need to be we need to be thanking God for that that, that He designed us differently. There there is uh, the ability for for intimacy and for in a marriage, especially obviously, and that we couldn't have otherwise. All right, and in the church when we're working together as a team and doing life God's way and serving like God, there's just, there's nothing better to watch this machine moving forward and God using us. We all have different gifts, different personalities, different experiences, different passions, and God's brought them all together here at Grace Point in order for us to meet the needs of each other and then also the needs of those outside the church. I want you to mark these dates as we close. Talked about them last week, uh, some of them, we're going to talk a little bit more. And I, and I just want to um, I want to have a real quick conversation with the members of our church. Um, I don't typically do this, but I just felt like maybe we should do this this morning. So we have members of our church, we have regular attenders of our church, and we have first-time attenders or new people checking things out. Some of you have said, I want to be a member of Grace Point Church. What that means is you're signing on saying, I'm on, I'm on board with what you guys are doing. I'm going to support it with my serving. I'm going to support it financially. That's why we don't expect first-time attenders to give because it's not their responsibility to support what God's doing. It's our responsibility. These things that we're going to talk about, members, if you're a member, and, and, and obviously if you work and that kind of stuff, you've got to factor that in. You need to commit to these things. Okay? And I'm not saying it out of desperation. I'm saying it out of God's word. 
that if you say, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with what Grace Point is doing, and I've said I'm going to be a member, if I've made that declaration and that commitment, then you need to be involved. You need to be doing what we're doing. You need to be representing Christ well outside this church. You need to be supporting it through serving. You need to be supporting it through financially. And thank God for how you guys have been doing it, because we've been able to accomplish a bunch of things, and we're looking into the fall um, to be able to do more and make an impact for Christ. But the first one is this. Saturday, August 11th, we're going to have a prayer retreat. This is just in-house. We're not promoting this out on Facebook or anywhere else. It's just in-house. And I, I want all those who are saying, yeah, Grace Point's my church. I love Grace Point. I want to be a part of Grace Point. I want to encourage you to be here on that morning, 9 to noon, and we're just going to spend time praying. We're going to spend time praying for some of the people in our church who are going through difficult times. We're going to pray for some of our leadership who are also going through difficult times. And then we're going to pray and ask God, Lord, give us the understanding of what it is you want to do in and through us as we move forward this fall. Okay, so those three things we're going to spend some time praying about. Sunday, August 26th, we're going to have a brainstorm and a barbecue. We figured, let's have food, because people always will come for food. So we're going to eat well, and then we're going to think well. We're going to brainstorm. Say, how can we, as a church, impact our neighborhoods and our community for Christ? And we're just going to write those things up on a board, talk about them, um, and see what we might be able to come up with. We have some plans already, some ideas, but we want everybody involved. And then the last one is this. Core classes. We've talked about these. If you've been in a membership class, you've heard about this. There's uh, four total classes. The Connect class, which is our membership class. You don't have to become a member, but it, you find out about the church. If you want to become a member, that would be a class you take. And then we have the Grow class. We have the Serve class and the Share class. And what we're going to be doing um, and through the fall here, uh, Greg Hart and Justin Havis are going to team teach those. And we need people to sign up because we have manuals for that. And it's just real basic foundational information about how you grow in your faith, which would be the grow class, Bible study, prayer, giving, and fellowship. And then the share of the serve class, which looks at your spiritual gifts, your temperament, your experiences, and your passions, and how that plays into how God wants to use you in a church. And then there's the share class, which looks at some real basic ways that makes it easy for you to share your faith. Four weeks, each of those are four weeks. Uh, Connect class is just a couple hours, but the other ones are four weeks. Um, so I want you to be looking for those. You can sign up for the Grow class um, and encourage you, if you haven't done that, maybe down at uh, Fremont, that you do that here. So, all righty. Are you guys glassy-eyed? That makes sense? Oh, boy. Why don't you all stand up? Wake the person up next to you. Tell them to stand up. The service is over. And I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I'll send you out into that incredibly beautiful weather I was talking to Hagen yesterday. I feel like I'm back in Colorado because this is what it feels this way. I mean, it's just, oh, beautiful. Anyways, Lord, we want to thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you allow us to be uh, part of representing you to not only each other here, but into our world. That's a huge responsibility, but it's a, an incredible privilege that you give us. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that just really desires to know your word and to understand what that means, and that we would then do that well, that we would turn to you, look to you for the strength and the power we need, that we would make an impact um, in our world, that, that as we pray, we learned last week, that as we pray, we have a, uh, a group of people behind us that we're praying for, that we're representing before you, so that when we go and meet with them, we can represent you to them. And and that you want to use us to meet their needs. That's what we need to be doing as a church. Lord, I pray that we would do that well. I pray that we would serve you well, that we'd serve, serve your family well. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. We thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice, for his willingness to go to the cross for us, but then for his power that he died an eternal death and he rose again, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and we don't have to be under its boot anymore that we can live in freedom in Christ and one day spend eternity with you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with us. Have a great rest of the week.